The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, Now, I don't think anyone can deny that this has been one of the stranger weeks in the UK. And obviously, football, like everything else, was affected. We haven't played a game in what seems like a month. But we do have a game on Sunday morning against Brentford, and we'll talk about that, as well as the start of the Women's Super League season to do that. We've got two stellar first team guests. It's Adrian Clark and Amy Lawrence. Morning. Good morning. 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 Neither of you are queuing, as far as I can see, so that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We are recording this on the 16th of September, uh, on this day in 1937. Arsenal v Arsenal Reserves was the first football game broadcast live on TV, uh, on the BBC to be exact, but then there were no other broadcasters. Uh, Now, although no match had ever been on TV before, Arsenal built a camera gantry into the East End, open one year earlier. Only 15 minutes of the game was shown as it was a test to see if the cameras could capture the action. Uh, I think uh, I think the jury's uh, returned with that one. I think we do know that it works. Um, so we were going to ask, uh, as an opening question, if you could broadcast any 15 minutes of Arsenal to the nation, what would it be? Um, just before we came on air, I did say to Amy, I think I know what your 15 minutes would be. And she said, no, you don't. So uh, what is it, Amy? Well, apart from the obvious, um, and people don't really need me banging on about it again and again and again, um, or maybe they do, uh, I decided to go for a, a game that I randomly adored, which was in 2004 and was in the Champions League. And it was Inter 1, Arsenal 5. Superficially, it wasn't the most significant game Arsenal have ever played, a group game in the Champions League, although... It was important because Arsenal were so rubbish at the beginning of that uh, that uh, campaign in Europe that they were going to go out barring some kind of rousing response. And rousing it was. It's not going to bother Arsenal because they've got Thierry Henry on the ball and Zanetti trying to catch up with him. Henry steps inside, Pires is there. Henry will have to do it alone. Oh! It's just such a fun game to be at. And it also was like... A perfect demonstration of the very best of what we might call Wenger ball. Um, and if you watch the video back, watch the faces of the players. They are just having the best time. Um, they're just, they're almost laughing. It's so uh, uh, joyous. And basically, I believe Arsenal were the first team to win away at uh, Inter in San Siro uh, on that occasion. So there was a little feather in the cap there. And it was a comeback of sorts that had that kind of uh, defiance aspect to it um, because Arsenal were um, needing a win to stay in the tournament. And uh, God, the quality of some of the goals is phenomenal, the quality of attacking play. But the, my favourite bit, so, so Arsenal go 2-1 up with some great football, but Inter is still very much in the game. And then the last, in that last 15 minutes, Arsenal get three goals in very quick succession. You know, when you get goals quickly, that like there's something about the amplification of the atmosphere and the feel good that just it almost like is in, you know, you, you haven't finished celebrating the first and then the second one comes and you haven't finished celebrating the first two when the third one comes and you almost sort of can't control the, the elation. Uh, it goes into overdrive. Um, Thierry Henry scored one of the best goals you'll ever see on the counter attack. 
And what I remember about that is Jens Lehmann telling me about it because it actually begins with Inter trying to get a penalty. Mm. And I think someone does a bit of a massive dive and off goes Mr. Vavavoom careering up the pitch. Uh, he beats a player of the calibre of um, Zanetti, Zanetti, not once yeah. but twice, uh, <laughs> before slamming it in the corner. At which point Jens Lehmann stands over the interplayer who's rolling around on the ground in the penalty box, still trying to get the penalty, and says, See, see, we've scored! Like, <laughs> which made it even better somehow. And then Edu gets one, and he's just so excited. He rips his shirt off and he goes and jumps and runs over to the, the plastic almost uh, barrier between the fans, and then he's banging on it, like, Come on! Henri slid into Freddie Jumper. It'll come here for Edu. It's only 4 1 to Arsenal in the South Zero. The last goal was Pires, and again he goes off running off like d- dancing, g- grinning, laughing. Were the Arsenal it's fans up joy. in that corner? The, no, I think I don't think it was so far up, but also it was a it was a day of absolutely horrific Milan rain yeah, all day. Like almost see. to the point where you wondered whether the game was going to be called off. Everyone got drowned all day long walking to the ground and it was all a bit dreary and you're thinking, oh God, going to go, you know, blow it in the Champions League at the group stage. And it ended up just being one of the one of the funnest games you could ever be at in that last moment. And uh, classic Arsene Wenger Arsenal. Loved it. Great 15 minutes. There you go. Uh, uh, do you know what? I wouldn't have had, uh, paid you for that one, but that's a good one, certainly. Uh, Adrian, what you got? Well, it, that was my number one pick. <laughs> it was my, fa- my favourite 15 <laughs> minutes as well. It was really five. I think the goals came in the 85th, 87th, 89th minutes. Um, and yeah, it just symbolised Arsene Wenger's Arsenal and, and that sort of invincible side. They were just sensational and yeah if you couldn't enjoy that as an Arsenal fan you would not enjoy anything um, I did have a backup in case somebody else picked it <laughs> I can't believe you picked that as well it I would have to be Carnage Hattrick the... wouldn't it oh, it was a 15 minute Hattrick that was it? exactly yeah, 15 minutes 75th minute yeah shut up well it's broken the Carnage's way and Dehu is right out of the centre it's Carnage what's he going to do oh can you believe it I mean, it's always lovely to, to beat Chelsea. It's even sweeter to do it at Stamford Bridge. It doesn't get much better. Also torrential two, rain, by yeah, the way. Yeah, two goals also. down. Two goals yes. down. And then you, the last 15 minutes, Carnu scores three goals, of which the hat-trick goal is one of the most memorable of all time. So, yeah, I'd fully recommend that 15 minutes to any gooner that is unlucky enough not to have seen it. Yeah. Um Two excellent choices. I'm going to go back a bit further to my second FA Cup final. The first one was Ipswich in 1978, which ended disastrously. But the second one uh, was Manchester United. And I'm going to take the last 15 minutes, uh, which was basically 10 minutes of sort of dreary coasting (laughs) towards a 2-0 victory in one of the less memorable cup finals. Four minutes of absolute agony as Manchester United got one and then the second goal back and equalised. And you thought, oh, no, extra time. We're going to blow it. And then uh, Liam Brady released the perfect pass to Graham Ricks, who really the perfect cross to Alan Sunderland, who buried it uh, past Gary Bailey and then went running off down the wing, swearing. There's a minute left on the clock. Brady for Arsenal. Right across, Sunderland, it's there, it's 3-2, 
not swearing, I would say, as much as I was <laughs> at that particular time. 3-2 uh, at the Arsenal, and uh, suddenly it's one of the great cup finals. So, again, really, five minutes. But, um, but why I'm, I'm including it, I, I think because... Uh, football is the highs and lows. When I have my football dreams, which I don't really have so much anymore, they always used to involve us going 2-0 down and then coming back to win 3-2. And there was disappointment and 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 uh, uh, followed by ecstasy. And uh, so I, that's sort of why I chose that. Amy, you wanted to add something there. Yeah, Stoney, I was just wondering, when, when did you most recently have a football dream? <laughs> well... Do you not? Have I not told you this story that I I used to I used to dream that we would be losing two nil and then uh, and then I would score a couple of goals uh, to get us back to two all and then we def- we'd be defending and I'd clear one off the line at one end and then sprint ninety yards all the way up the other end of the pitch and get on the end of a cross and score the winner in yeah, front yeah. of our I'm, fans. I'm not Hang I'm on. not I'm not debating the quality of the dream. I'm just wondering about the well, timing, like well, how, let, how recently these well, hang on these was still going on. No, no. Well, I'll tell you. I was about 40 years old and, and I had this dream pretty much every night for about 15 years. And then at 40 years old, around that time, I was halfway through my sprint up the other end of the pitch to get on the end of the, uh, the cross and score the winner. And my conscious brain went, you can't do this. you got to be joking. You couldn't do this 20 years ago. And I can't have that dream again. I cannot. I suddenly had to stop the dream in the middle as my body went, oh, don't be ridiculous. There's no that way you can make that run. Were you run. wearing an Arsenal kit or was it Melchester Rovers? Was it Roy was I, Rovers? No, I was, I, no, that's the other thing as well. I was wearing an Arsenal kit um, and it, and there was also something a little bit crazy about a 40-year-old, uh, I was going to say unco- uncoordinated, but that's not totally true, uh, wearing the kit. Uh, the whole dream made no sense in reality. And and that's the last time I had it. But the point is, there was always pain. 15 years, though. You had it for 15 years. I was quite useful <laughs> in my head. I had a mate who had a dream once. He was on the bench, never got on. He was an unused substitute in his dream. Anyway, that's uh, neither here nor there. <laughs> Now, obviously, because of what's happened uh, in uh, the UK and the death of uh, Queen Elizabeth II, there was no PSV game for us to talk about. Uh, that's They basically moved it due to policing issues. It's going to be um, Thursday, the 20th of October, which is the return of Ruud van Nistelrooy to the Arsenal. Amy, that's going to be some atmosphere, isn't it, when he comes out? I mean... I mean, of all the players we've played against, he's in the top three of villains, isn't he? Yeah, he's pretty high up there. Um, yeah. I don't imagine that he'd be getting a uh, particularly gentlemanly welcome. Was the police uh, was the, was the police presence there to protect him from us? Is that what that was about? <laughs> it depends Martin if Martin Keogh. Keogh's going. Hey, <laughs> keep, we're really on the same wavelength today, Keogh. Adrian. You too. Yeah, we're just going to bring Martin Keogh just to growl at him from the side of the pitch. BT should definitely make him pitch side just for banter. Well, yeah, or get him on at the half-time interview, you know. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, look, look, Rude, look who's in the uh, in the studio. Um, anyway, the Man City game, which was going to be the night before or that night, uh, will be moved to a later date. Uh, so that's where we'll let you know when the title decider is happening. Uh, this is also, by the way, the first time in Arsenal's history. I love the way you just let that go, you two. Fair enough. You went, yeah, the title decider. Yeah, fair enough. Um, this is the first time in Arsenal's history they won't have played a home game in September. We have missed it. We really have uh, missed it. We do have an away game, though, on Sunday. Moved to 12 o'clock from 2. 
I'm not quite sure what's going on there. It's possibly slightly more respectful to play at midday than at two or something. Anyway, we're playing Brentford away at the Brentford Community Stadium. Amy, we remember last season. Um, I mean, this is... We have to. We don't have to, to be honest with you. We really don't have to. It was a grim, grim day, although I don't think we really were cut very much slack for the fact that we had quite a lot of illness uh, in the squad. It's not going to be like that on Sunday. I mean, this is a different... I mean, this is such a completely different team that will be playing. Even with some of the same personalities in the team, the whole club on, has on changed I, I looked at radically. the team, right? Yes. On that, Xhaka and Martinelli might just be the only two survivors from that starting eleven. There's also Ben White, I think is a fitness doubt around him. So there's a chance we go into that game with two of the 11 that experienced it from the start last season, which I think tells, tells you plenty, doesn't it? It does tell you a lot, doesn't it, Amy? It tells you how much this club has changed in, um, in a year. Yeah, it also suggests that there shouldn't particularly be any uh, mental scars, let's just say. But I think, you know, the... The circumstances around that game last year, you know, nobody uses the words excuses uh, lightly in football. But I mean, it was, there were definitely reasons. Um, I mean, all over the pitch, it was not. It, it, it wasn't. It was not anywhere near what Arteta would have wanted. No one so, talks about it, though, Amy. No one, and I'm not just talking about the Arsenal lot. I'm talking about the other pundits and the and the, the people out there. They just loved the fact that a giant was slayed by newly promoted Brentford in their yeah, brand but new so stadium. Would, so would you if it had been Man United or no? I would else. commiserated for for hours <laughs> with the United exactly. fans. You don't expect that. I mean, it's just it's just how it is. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think Brentford is still, you know some force to be reckoned with. I mean, there's no suggesting that just because Arsenal are, have started the season so well, at the top of the league, um, that they're going to go there and, and have a comfortable midday kickoff. <laughs> I was going to say afternoon and then, oh, it's, yes, I suppose technically it's still the afternoon. Um, but I just, uh, I think I think the kind of, the gap has been sort of problematic because you're in a kind of rhythm of playing and training and, the you know, the way that you're psyched up for, that point of the season where you're in sort of game, recovery, prepare, game, recovery, prepare. And these last couple of weeks have obviously made life a little bit complex in terms of match preparation. Same so, for everyone though, isn't it? Absolutely, it's the same for everyone. But I mean, what I'm saying is Arsenal were broadly in a pretty good shape. Yes. Um, but we'll see, perhaps, you know, there may be some benefits from this break, if you like, because there's talk of Thomas Partey being... Uh, back training again, and if he's available, that that changes things again. So he will to... make a difference, won't he, Adrian? I mean, I mean, we we haven't talked about him uh, a huge amount. He hasn't a uh, huge amount. He hasn't been playing the last few games, but in terms of that transition from defence to attack, there's really no one else in the team who can do that, is there? No, he's a unique talent. He is. I don't think we realise how good he is until he is missing. One of uh, those. And, the, and then there's a, yeah. really, there's a sort of real void there. And, and Samba de Conga is a good player, but he's not at the same level at the moment. And, and I think he's got that stature, hasn't he, in, in front of the, the two centre-halves. And also discipline. He doesn't really move too far away from from the spine of the pitch. And what we saw at Old Trafford was Laconga go to the left, to the right, push up into the opposition half at at moments because he's enthusiastic, because he wants to get involved in the build-up play. But then when we lose the ball, there's that gaping hole. And I think that Partey is less likely to leave those holes. Also, if you cast your mind back to that, that horrible defeat to Brentford, Tony 
was amazing at, at sort of dropping in to that number 10 position to flick the ball on with his head or to hold it up. And and I think Thomas Partey will make a big difference in that particular domain and, and just say to him, nah, you're not, you're not going to dominate us like you did last time. Um, also on that, the two centre-halves last time were Chambers and, and Pablo Mari. I think I, if Tony and Embremo could have picked two two of Arsenal centre-backs, they would have definitely gone for those. Um, they would not choose Gabriel and Saliba, who are much no. more muscular, much quicker, much more able to sort of handle what they throw at you. So, so I'm a bit more confident, is, is the long and short of it, ahead of, ahead of this one. And, and yeah, Thomas Partey's sort of potential involvement definitely uh, lifts the team, I think, ahead of kickoff. And you mentioned uh, Ben White, Adrian. Uh, now, Amy, he hasn't, um, he hopefully he'll be fit for the game, but we don't know. He hasn't made the England squad. Um, do you think that's a mistake on Gareth Southgate's part? I mean, he's, is it because he's been playing out of position, do you think? And he's, uh, uh, I, I can't quite work it out. On Arsenal Twitter, that does seem to be the main bone of contention is that uh, Ben White is not in that squad. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in answer to your question, whether him playing out of position is, you know, been a negative, it probably doesn't make much sense in that you'd think that it would be a positive. I mean, he's become quite adept filling in at right back and shown that he can play those two positions very comfortably. Obviously, time is running out a little bit on his part. So, you know, there is a school of thought that some people not making the squad is because uh, not not necessarily just in England's case, but looking at uh, across a lot of national teams, because people are looking at alternatives while they've still got a chance, knowing that certain people are are dead certs or near certs. The Brazilian boys being possibly well, one of the uh, quite, examples. Quite, and I I think something similar is going on with France with Didier Deschamps. He's picked some uh, you know unfamiliar faces or some unexpected faces. Um, because you know it's it's just that chance to kind of make sure in your own head, I suppose, uh, if you're the if you're the coach. I mean, looking at the at the defenders, I, it does look harsh on Ben White. You know, there's a few in there that you think really uh, that they would be ahead of him. But one of the things I think you gain from watching the All or Nothing series, where he features a little bit, is how quietly determined he is to improve and improve and improve. And I think whatever his fate is here, he'll take it in the best way possible to improve and spur him on. And that might be to Arsenal's benefit. Obviously, no no player in the history of football ever wants to miss a World Cup, I don't think. But, uh, you know, sometimes you've just got as part of your career arc. And I never got the feeling that he was ever absolutely central to Gareth Southgate's thoughts. I don't know if you didn't feel play, the did same, the guys. Euros, so no, yeah, he took him, I mean, he didn't play him. He covers a few positions, though, which is why I'm surprised, because he can obviously play right back. He played right back for England, <laughs> despite the fact that we've got about 20 top-class <laughs> right backs. He, he did play there before he played there for Arsenal. He can yeah. play right side centre-back in a three. Actually, it's probably a perfect position for him, the kind of Carl Walker role, and Carl's injured at the moment. So if he can't get in when Carl Walker's injured, then I don't think he is going to get in ahead of the World Cup. It's harsh. Mark Gurhey... Maguire, Connor Cody. I, I, I think I, I would put him ahead of all of those guys. Yeah. Um, one person who did make the in squad was Ivan Tony. Um, Amy mentioned 
the All or Nothing documentary. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that. After the uh, the win uh, last August, he uh, he tweeted, "Nice kickabout with the boys," and then Mikel Arteta blew up that tweet onto a big screen in the dressing room as motivation ahead of the return fixture at the Emirates. Uh, Adrian, does that stuff make a difference? really, in the dressing room when you see something like that, when you see... I mean, essentially, it was just a casual tweet and and uh, and, and it was for his own fans. It was nothing to do with Arsenal, really. Does it make a difference to the players when they see stuff like that? I, I was a big fan of it, a big fan of Arteta using it. It doesn't... you just got to sort of provoke a bit of a reaction, haven't you, yes. from players every now and again? And why not dig out an old tweet where someone said something that might rub them up the wrong way? Why not use it? It's evidence, isn't it, to, to back up what your the message is that you're trying to put out there. I do just it in life. Get, yeah, he's just <laughs> trying to get the lads to yeah. be extra determined to get one over on Brentford. And Well, it worked, didn't it? It was a good tool, wasn't it? He's a proper handful, Ivan Tony. I don't think he did anything wrong, by the way, on that tweet. He's no. just a proper handful as a striker. He can hurt you. In the air, he can hurt you in behind. He likes to wrestle centre-halves. He's got more quality than people realise. I mean, that, that hat-trick goal, I don't know if you saw it, against Leeds, where he, he sort of nutmegged a player and then dinked it into the empty net. It was it was absolute class. Um, he's good enough to play for Arsenal. Um, maybe not ahead of Gabriel Jesus, or definitely not ahead of Gabriel Jesus, but he's good enough to be a number two striker here. So we have to respect him. Um, and I, I'd be surprised if he's not on Mikel Arteta and Edu's radar moving forward because, um, yeah, he's a, he's a quality centre-forward. We've got, we've got to be careful with him. What, what do you think, Amy? Would you, would, you, would you sort of have him on a short list? I don't see why not. I mean, mm. he has shown that he can uh, be very effective in the Premier League. Um, I think if you imagine, like a lot of players, if you put them in better teams and they get better service and have better combinations, they could have an even better time of it. Um, he's got some. He's got something about him. I like his attitude on the pitch. Um, he he relishes being that sort of focal point. Uh, it's a confidence, a cocksure sort of like sort of London vibe going on that I like and. <laughs> I think he'd. I think he'd be the sort of player that would be a, a really fantastic addition if he was to become available at some point. I mean, obviously at the moment, Gabriel Jesus is doing an outstanding job leading the line. Adrian, he's getting fouled so often. I mean, you've got the stats on this, have you not? I mean, he's um, he's been fouled seven, eight times more than any other player in the league. Yeah, so he's been fouled 21 times, which is the most in the Premier League this season. It's five more than Wilfred Zaha and nine more than those in third place on that particular list. So he has absolutely been singled out for the rough treatment. Part of it is down to him because he loves it. He loves those duels. He'll sprint five, ten yards just to get in the grill of a centre-half, won't he? And, And to try and muscle him and knock him over and... And and that kind of player is always going to draw giveaway fouls and, and also bring fouls as well, which which in itself is a positive for the team because it gets us free kicks in good areas. But but I do feel that the other teams are targeting him because he's been so brilliant. They are kicking him pretty hard, and and I just I, I would sort of just hope that the officials, the referees have this on their radar and they're ready to sort of give him a little bit more protection because at Manchester United. He was fouled eight times, eight times. No other player got fouled more than twice. 
that is targeting. And I, I, I think only one of them drew a yellow card, which is wrong. You know, you, you can't have that. So yeah, Manchester United got away with it. Hopefully other teams won't. I think it's it's going to be time pretty soon to actually talk about it, whether it's him, whether it's Mikel Arteta, whether it's a teammate. But I think sometimes you need to vocalise this stuff and get it in the referees' heads and get it on the agenda. I think if you just try and suck it up, we've seen yeah. it happen before where you make a bit of a fuss about a particular player or a particular circumstance. And, you know, Alex Ferguson used to do it all the time. Get, you know, to kind of almost make the point before the game that the referee needs to make sure that everybody's watching that particular situation. On, on a significantly smaller note, that's the reason I tweeted it. Seriously, I, I wanted people to see it. I wanted it to get retweeted and it did. It, it was a, sort of, it did get a lot of likes and retweets and whatnot and it, it got into people's consciousness. I want that to happen. It's important. But isn't, isn't it a pity that there's not a more normalised relationship between officials and clubs or managers that you couldn't actually have a sensible conversation about it and Arsenal couldn't go to the refs or the refs association and say, look, this is what's happening. Can we just go through these incidents with you and can we try and figure out why he's not getting a bit more protection? Are we just going to wait till he gets a serious injury? Or, you know, what can we do here? Or is it just that we've got to accept that this is how it is and that we feel um, more conscious about it than others would? but it's going on everywhere. Like, let's talk about it. Let's have, it doesn't have to be a public conversation. It can be a private one, but it should be a respectful one with the well-being of the player at, at the heart of the conversation. Arsene Wenger would have loved to have had this conversation 25 years ago, wouldn't he? Let's be fair with what happened to certain uh, of our players. Um, Amy's right. Get Set up a meeting with, with, the, with the PGMOF. Just set one up. It just shouldn't be that. Zoom. It shouldn't be that difficult, but there is this kind of disconnect. There is this sort of um, defensiveness you feel on the part of PGMOL. They don't welcome those kind of conversations, it seems. And, you know, clubs feel perhaps they're, they're knocking their heads against a brick wall. Is it partly down to the way he plays as well, though, that, that he's such a quicksilver sort of forward and he, and he puts himself in those situations and, and, it, and he'll, he'll go for a ball and he's, and he's quicker than some defenders perhaps imagine he is and he just gets their head when they think I can get that and then they realise they can't. Do you think partly it's down to that? I'm, I'm only just, I'm just asking the question No, here. no, definitely. That's what I said when, when we talked about this initially. He brings it on himself a lot. But also there are, there are clear examples of defenders taking swipes at him. Lissandro Martinez, in the first five minutes at Old Trafford, took an absolute swipe at him um, and, and knocked him off his feet on the edge of the box, if you remember. Yes. He chased down a long pass. It was a clear yellow card. Um, but it was ignored, and that it's those kind of incidents that you've got to you've got to say need to be clamped down on. Especially when fifteen minutes later Saliba tries to pull out of a trip, fails to pull out in time, and gets a yellow for his first foul of the, foul of the afternoon. It it's ridiculous. So yeah, I I feel that um, yeah, Jesus is going to get fouled a lot. We shouldn't carp on about it too much because he's that style of player but at the same time I totally agree with Amy we need to shout about it a little bit more so that refs refs are aware of it but we can extrapolate it as well a little bit with um with Bukayo Saka because he had uh, he had similar last year and he still gets uh probably more than his fair share of uh, of fouls as well and it's something that he spoke about last year but actually it wasn't that he didn't get a lot of sympathy for it which I thought was a little bit surprising, you know, for a young player and an England golden boy. You'd think there might be a bit more of a 
mature conversation about that. But, um, you know, he feels, he felt, I think, that he needed to raise it because he didn't feel he was being protected by refs either. We haven't had uh, too much of a chance to talk about the win away in Zurich. Um, well, not actually in Zurich. It was about 25 miles away from Zurich, wasn't it? In the Europa League uh, last Thursday. Just one little um, thing I maybe want to talk about with this game was the um, uh, the Arsenal debut of uh, Marquinhos, 19 years old. Um, Adrian, he doesn't look like a 19-year-old. He's built like a bloke, if you know what I mean. I mean, he is really a big... I mean, I've got to be honest. I've, I, I hadn't, I, I wasn't aware of him before we signed him, and then I saw him, and I thought that he does not look like a kid, and he certainly didn't the other day. And to see the joy in his face when he scored that goal, and what a finish, by the way! We've got a prospect there, haven't we? Quite possibly, yeah. He looked, it was a dream debut, wasn't it? The execution of that finish with the bouncing ball on the run. Remember, he'd run seventy yards to get there. So I, I could do I that as well. I could yeah. do that, but only up to 40 years sleep. old. In your dreams, yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> Not even in my dreams now. <laughs> but yeah, the way he controlled that was great. And, and you'll notice that that was a right foot finish. The cross, which was pinpoint for Eddie Nketiah's winner, was with his left foot. And the so, other cross, the other yeah. cross for, for yeah. um, that, Martin, um, Martin that Martinelli should have scored as well. It was a, it was a great debut. I thought, I thought he was outstanding. I've done a breakdown on the game. You can watch, I'm going to plug it. You can watch it on the breakdown live just after 11 on, on Sunday morning uh, when we kick off the show. Um, in it, I also wax lyrical about Granit Xhaka. Um, he was brilliant in the game. When I watched it back, he was better than I, I, I thought first time. I think he made five chances. He wore the captain's armband, which I think was significant. And uh, <laughs> he, he rose to it. And, yeah. and there was one incident in the game where I think the goalie of Zurich rolled it out to a player who ran down the middle of the pitch. There's a great big hole. Granit Xhaka chased him 60 yards to win the ball back. Didn't and foul that, him as well, did he? Didn't it was, foul no, him. He didn't foul him, which was no. just amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> and and that, I thought, was the moment of the game. It showed that the attitude of the team was spot on. So, yeah, th- those were the two sort of big takeaways, Marquinhos and Xhaka. And, and Amy, in terms of the Europa League, obviously everyone was gutted about not making the Champions League, but the Europa League, we can try some of these newer players. And, uh, you know, we get to see the debuts of people like Emil Smith-Rowe a couple of seasons ago and now Marquinhos and a few of you saw Vieira for 20 minutes, half an hour the other day. And also, by the way, Vieira's touch, that first touch to bring the ball down to put Eddie Nketiah away. It's nice to see the new prospects coming through, isn't it, really? Yeah, it is. But it's interesting if you actually take a look at the squad and the strength of Arsenal's squad at the moment. There are not that many that, you know, you talk about the sort of the generation, the hail end generation, if you like, who all came through really and get, you know, got a big step in their development in this competition. And that includes the likes of Joe Willock, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who are not here at the moment, in addition to Saka Smith-Rowe and Ketio and so on. But I think it's going to be quite hard for the youngsters the homegrown youngsters if you like to get much of a look in in uh, in the Europa League this year because when you've got um Tomiyasu or Ben White as your options or you've got Tierney or Zinchenko yeah. or you know across the pitch there's like really really a lot of strength and depth now and there's not that many we talked earlier about Pablo Mari playing against Brentford last year there's not that many that you you really just you don't want to see him on the team sheet because it's you know you know that there's a big drop in in quality coming. 
so I think that's quite interesting and it's hugely necessary given the schedule coming up, which just seems to be madder and madder with every passing scenario that, you know, leads to game cancellations or squeezes. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. After the break, we'll look ahead to the start of the new Women's Super League season. I'm Adam Hurry, host of The Athletic's Football Clichés podcast. Look, there are loads of podcasts out there talking about the actual football, but this is the only one that celebrates the language of the game and takes the deepest possible dive into all the tiny things in and around football that we have somehow taken for granted. Check out our back catalogue now, where you'll find interviews with Jamie Carragher, Kelly Cates, Neda Manua, Peter Drury, and many, many more. Search for Football Clichés on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places and listen ad-free on The Athletic. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone here with Handbrake Off, uh, joined by Adrian Clark and Amy Lawrence. The brand new WSL season kicks off this weekend, one week later than planned. Uh, Arsenal pipped to the title by a point back in May, uh, looking to go one better this time around. We kick off at home to Brighton on Friday in Bournemouth, sold out, by the way. Uh, Art de Roche is heading to Bournemouth for the Athletic. Here's what he had to say. Arsenal only made one outfield signing this summer, uh, which was Hertig from Juventus, a uh, forward, another forward uh, after Nikita Paris uh, left for Manchester United. But for the grand scheme of things, the squad is very much the same. So I think with that, Jonas Edevar's basically spoken about how rare that kind of continuity is in, in women's football um, because of the amount of turnover there tends to be. Obviously, Arsenal managed to extend, I think it was about seven uh, contracts, first-team contracts in in the summer, with Vivian Miedemar probably being the most important of those. But around kind of the squad, I think, uh, they do have quite a a settled, I guess, core, um, which, looking across the league, you can only really say Chelsea have done that over the past few years with uh, Emma Hayes, with a lot of the same players staying there and almost just building a culture and figuring out how they want to to move forward. So I think that would be quite um, encouraging for, for Arsenal going into this season that there hasn't been massive change and turnover um, and they should hopefully be able to pick up uh, from where they left off last season. Uh, aside from that, I think it will also be interesting to see how the summer kind of impacts the squad because, as everyone knows, uh, they've got three Euros champions in Lee Williamson, Beth Mead and Lotte Wubemoy. And then Rafael Souza also won the Copa America with Brazil as their captain. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, um, spoke to Leah Williamson about this and uh, she spoke about how, I guess, being successful in those pressure moments and still being able to play the way she wanted to play at such a kind of high level of competition was almost proof to her that she could do it. Pressure moments have been quite a big talking point for Arsenal the last couple of seasons. Um, 
with FA Cup finals, Champions League knockout stages, uh, even the FA Cup semi-final last year against Chelsea. So I think just having that extra bit of experience in in that sort of environment should hopefully uh, help Arsenal women going forward this year. And obviously the, the main benefit is it, it's not just one player that experienced it. There's actually a, a decent group of players that did. That was Art de Roche uh, in Bournemouth ahead of the uh, Arsenal game against Brighton that kicks off the Women's Super League campaign this season. Sold out as well. Uh, I mean, I, Adrian, what happened in the summer? It just lifted the women's game to uh, not just another level, another four or five levels. And, yeah, you know, so- how many are going to be at uh, the Emirates for the uh, the Tottenham game? Well, they've sold over 40,000, haven't they? Um, so that could climb to 50 or 60, I reckon, by by the time we get to kickoff. So, yeah, tremendous. That You know, what a great experience for the players. But they're used to it now, aren't they? A lot of the, a lot of the England players in particular with those huge crowds um, at the Euros. Now, it's really, really exciting. I'm working on the game uh, myself. We pitch side. Um, and and I'm, I'm excited, really excited to, to see to see these stars and that's what they are now stars of the game in action so yeah beth mead can she can she carry on where she left off in the summer i mean she had a brilliant season last year i think she had eight eight assists scored 11 goals so yeah that's not bad going in a pretty short wsl season for beth mead you've got Miedemar, who didn't really have a, a great tournament but but she's a, she's a legend for arsenal and uh, and yeah just big names everywhere you look black stenius the, the new striker, uh, the Swede, scored six goals in seven starts last season. Almost a goal a game. So if, if she continues at that rate, she'll probably end up being the division's top scorer this season with, with Miedema sort of playing in behind. So there's, there's so much to get excited about. Um, and uh, yeah, this, this team have potential to win the title. You've got to remember, they lost just once. Four draws, 17 wins. They only conceded 10 goals in 22 games and somehow they didn't win the league. It was pretty cruel, really. Yeah, it was ridiculous defeat to Birmingham. Uh, I don't think anyone can quite believe it. Um, Amy, there's going to be a tribute to uh, Maria, uh, Maria Petri before the game against Brighton. Uh, she also features on the cover of the official Match Day programme as well. I mean, it's not going to be the same without her voice. <laughs> I was going to say booming out, but it's not quite a boom, was it? But um, we'll miss her. Of course we will. Nice recognition there of the Queen of Arsenal. Yeah, mm. yeah, quite. <laughs> Definitely. By the way, on that, on that, can I just say, for anyone going to the game, listen to it before kickoff, get there early, because I believe the tribute to Maria is taking place at 7.15, because obviously there's going to be um, tributes to the Queen just before kickoff, so they're sort of splitting it up a little bit. So if you can get there early and, and be part of that, that would that would be magnificent. Also, uh, second season in charge uh, for Jonas Eidvall. Adrian, I mean, we watched him as a pundit. Um, now, obviously, just because you can be a pundit doesn't mean that makes you a, a great manager, but his insight into the game and obviously his knowledge, particularly of the women's game, it does fill you with confidence, doesn't it, really? I like him. Yeah, I really like him. I, I like the cut of his jib. He talk, when he talks about football, it's interesting. He improved areas of the team that needed improving. Like They definitely press a bit better than they used to. They've got less of a... I'm not saying they had an inferiority complex before, but they didn't have a good record against their closest rivals. 
they do now. They weren't beaten by any of them last season in the in the league anyway. So he's made them tactically better in the big games. So um, yeah, maybe some of the football's not as sort of free flowing as as it was under under Joe Montemuro, but but yeah, I think we're probably in a stronger place. And Amy talked about the depth with the guys. <laughs> Look around the women's squad. They've got internationals covering internationals. It's it's ridiculously strong, really. What I'll say about this game, though, is that Brighton are pretty defensive. Um, Hope Powell's the manager, legendary figure in the women's game, very well known for being cautious and sort of putting everyone behind the ball. So um, it might be a grind. Um, if Arsenal score early, it could be a lot of fun. If they don't, they might have to be very patient to, to get the three points here. Uh, let's have a song before we go. Amy, I'm going to come to you first for a song. What have you got for us? Well, I had the um, extraordinary privilege and pleasure to see a lot of the old best Arsenal legends of all time uh, earlier on the week at David Dean's book launch for Calling the Shots. And um, on stage, you know, uh, Arsene, it, there was a wonderful moment where Thierry and Ian Wright were on stage together. And I thought, cool, I wish this could go on a bit longer. And um, <laughs> Arsene was there, Lee Dixon, Lauren, Stavos Shuka, um, Gilberto, Colo uh, Torre, it was brilliant to see him again, Jens Lehmann, uh, Anders Limpar, who was on good form. I'm sorry if I'm missing out a few. Paul Davis. It was an absolute cast of uh, of just wonderful players and wonderful human beings. And the thing about the night that really was enjoyable was it just felt like a family reunion. It felt like family again. There was that warmth there of everybody who loved each other kind of getting together. Oh, did I say Vieira was there as well? Did I mention his name? That was just, you know, magnificent <laughs> oh, yeah. to Patrick see him Vieira. as well. He was decent, wasn't he? Oh, my goodness. And um, <laughs> so I, I thought I'd pick something to reflect that sort of uh, sense. And I thought I would go for Heroes, but the Peter Gabriel version, which is really, really lovely. How we can be heroes Just for one day There you go. Uh, there's a lovely list of ex-Arsenal players there, Adrian. I mean, my God, we had some talent. Um, by the way, uh, Charlie, who's producing for us this week, uh, he, he gave us a few uh, song titles in honour of uh, Gabriel Jesus being fouled all the time. Do you really want to hurt me? He gave us <laughs> Don't Stand So Close To Me. Uh, Jesus Walks. I actually don't know that tune. Sorry. Uh, but anyway, uh, like if anyone that. does... Do you really want to hurt me? It's a good one, isn't it? Do you it? really yeah. want to hurt me? It's great. But uh, uh, I think the answer is yes, as far as May and I were concerned. <laughs> Adrian, what have you got for us? Look, we talked about the women. They're kicking off. It's it's exciting. Obviously, we've got the, the Friday night opener. Then we've got um, the, the North London derby. So they're going to take centre stage over the next week or so. Um, but tonight, at the time of recording, it's their night. It's ladies' night. It's cool in the gang. Uh, there you go. I thought you were going to do sisters are doing it for themselves and you've gone for a bit of ladies' night. 
I've missed football uh, this week, uh, notwithstanding the sad events out in the wider world. I found it very, very difficult. Uh, so I've got tired of waiting, is what I've got uh, from the kinks. So tired, tired of waiting, tired of waiting for you. I thought you'd go for Blondie and Dreaming. <laughs> early conversation. You know what? That would be good as well. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, I've gone for the kicks, tired of waiting. But we don't have to wait much longer. The women playing, uh, and also it is ladies' night, as Adrian said. <laughs> and then uh, the chaps on Sunday. That's it for Handbrake Off. Uh, thanks to Charlie, who produced. Thanks to Adrian and Amy. And thanks to you, listener, for listening. I'm Ian Stone. Uh, have a good weekend. See you.